If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me please to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 11. As you're turning there, let me say thank you for the privilege it is to preach God's Word. It's always a joy to preach God's Word, and I thank you so much for the privilege to be here with you this morning. Let me also say, if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can find the text in your pew Bible on page 121, Romans 5, 6 to 11 in your Bible, or in the pew Bible on page 121. I am a teacher-preacher. So I want you looking at the Bible this morning to make sure I'm not making this stuff up. Of course, I wouldn't do that, but you wouldn't know unless you're looking at a Bible with me. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. Hear the Word of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. And notice these words. We've just sung about these words. Listen to this. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now that we are reconciled we shall be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's ask the Lord to help us understand His Word this morning before we walk through it together. Let's pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, we are in fact thankful for Your great love, which You by Your grace have displayed by the death and resurrection of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that if we doubt this morning whether you love us, we know that the cross proclaims loudly and clearly that you do. So Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our souls, and help us to embrace your love, to understand your love revealed through the cross of Jesus today. And God, help me to give your people a word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever asked yourselves this question? Does God really love me? Or does God love the world? And in fact, if God does love you, and if in fact God does love the world, how does one know the answer to those questions? We look around the world today, we see all sorts of turmoil, don't we? It's okay, you can say yes, we see it. It's all right, you can talk back to this preacher. We see suffering. We see earthquakes. We see poverty. We see strife within the church and outside of the church. And as a result of those realities, God's love might seem very distant from us. So the question is, does God really love us? Perhaps there are many 
answers to that question, but Romans 5, 6-11 gives us one specific answer. Emphatically, yes. And the reason why we know that God loves us, this text says, is because God has executed His Son, Jesus Christ. And He raised Him up from the dead so that sinners, not good people, so that sinners would be saved. Let's see this together in the passage. Romans chapter 5, verses 6-11, to Paul gives us a reason for why we have hope in suffering. In Romans 5, verses 1-5, to Paul says we have hope in suffering. And in 5, 5, he says, because the Holy Spirit has given us God's love. And then in verse 6, he introduces us to the death of Jesus. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice two words in this passage. First of all, Paul says, weak people and ungodly people are the ones for whom Christ died. Question, who are the weak and who are the ungodly? The answer comes in verse 8. They're sinners. They're not good people. They're sinners, verse 8. Paul says, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You realize this morning that you and I, human beings, fundamentally are not good people. Do you understand that? Romans chapter 3, there is none good, no, not one. All have turned aside. There, there are none who pursue God, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 tell us that we were dead in transgressions and sins. To be a sinner, in Paul's definition, means to fall short of God's glory, to fail to give God the glory and the honor that he deserves. And Paul says that these are the ones for whom Jesus died. He died for the weak, verse 6. He died for the ungodly, verse 6. He died for sinners, verse 8. Notice further in verse 7 what Paul says. I'll give you some practical application in a moment, but let's look at the text. Verse 7, Paul is going to now elaborate some more on the death of Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 6, while we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. Now in verse 7, he's going to contrast the kind of death that Jesus died with other kinds of death deaths in the first century when Paul wrote. Look at verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Okay, here's what you need to understand about the death of Jesus. Jesus' death was not what we would call an honorable death. You know what an honorable death is, don't you? Those of you perhaps who have family members in the military or those of you who have served in the military, when you sign up for the military, you sign up, if called upon to do so, to die for your country, right? And when military people die for their country, when they die for the United States of America, for our freedom, that is what we would call a noble death, a patriotic death, a death for a good and a just cause. In Paul's world, when he wrote this letter, there were 
Likewise, patriotic deaths. There were soldiers who died for the city of Rome. There were soldiers who died good, honorable, and noble deaths. But Paul says Jesus did not die a death like that. He died a shameful death. Question, why? Answer, because he died for sinners. You see that? Verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Feel the weight of this this morning. When you and I were dead in transgressions and sins, Jesus decided in advance to come down from heaven and to die for our sins. In fact, you wondered today, can God or does God really love me? All you've got to do is look to the blood of Jesus. He's displayed His love because when you had nothing to offer Him, He offered for you His life. As Paul says in verse 7, the kind of death that Jesus died was a kind of death that was not honorable. It was not noble. It was a death of the righteous person, namely Jesus, for the unrighteous, namely sinners. And then in verse 8, he begins to speak about God's love. Look at verse 8. Still with me? Yes? Verses 6 and 7. Christ died for us when we were weak and ungodly. Verse 7. Christ's death was not an honorable death in the eyes of the world because He died for unrighteous people. But God, verse 8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean to talk about God's love? What is God's love? In our culture, there's so many people who have these emotional or touchy-feely definitions of God's love. Let me tell you, God's love, biblically speaking, is not fundamentally an emotion. Certainly there are psychological and emotional realities to God's love, but God's love is not fundamentally an emotion. It is rather an action. For example, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He felt, right? Or that He gave. In other words, God so loved the world that He acted, he gave His Son so that any person who believes in the Son would not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, God shows His love like this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is an action. An action that God did at a fixed point in history in order to manifest His love to sinners who believe in His Son. Let's talk about the benefits of that love. You do recognize, don't you, that because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I have spiritual privilege today. And one of those privileges is mentioned in verse 9, and another is mentioned in verse 10, and another is mentioned in verse 11. Paul says, as a result of the death of Jesus, Jesus, His blood justifies us, reconciles us to God, and delivers us from God's wrath. Look at verse 9. Paul says, therefore, verse 9, since we have now been justified 
by His blood, much more we shall be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Let's think about this for a moment. Paul gives us some good news this morning. On the one hand, we are sinners today. On the one hand, we were weak and ungodly. On the one hand, we rebelled against God, but then Jesus died for us at a specific time in history, and God raised Him up from the dead in a specific time in history so that we would be, verse 9, justified by His blood. The word to justify simply means to declare to be in the right. Here's the analogy I always use. Imagine if we all were in the court of law today, and God's the judge, and we stand before God the judge, and the weight of evidence is against us. But God, instead of rendering the verdict guilty, He instead says not guilty because of what Jesus has done in the cross and resurrection and because of our union with Christ by faith. The verdict of not guilty is, my brothers and sisters, what we call justification. God looks upon us and He says to us in the judgment, Because Jesus died for you, because you have faith in Jesus, you are not guilty, even though you are a sinner. You say, Jarvis, where do you see that in the text? Well, verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood. Don't you ever think for one moment that Jesus Christ was a victim. He was not a victim. And the Lord's Supper does not represent poor Jesus today. Jesus was instead the victor in the cross. Because what was He doing? He was disarming the devil. He was disarming the principalities and powers of the air. And He was absorbing upon Himself God's judgment for our sin by His blood so that we would be justified by faith. Now, there's a question I hope you're thinking. This very issue is an issue that many Christians divide over, whether we're justified by the blood of Christ or not. The question I want you to to think about with me for a moment is this. If Jesus died for my sins and I have faith in Jesus, I have faith in Jesus and I benefit from Jesus by faith, why does God count to me the status of not guilty? Why does God say we're not guilty by faith in the blood of Jesus? Of Jesus? And the answer is because God gives to Jesus our sin and our punishment. And He gives to us Jesus' righteousness. For example, Romans 4, look at chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 and 8. Paul is making the argument in these verses regarding justification by faith. And he uses Abraham as an example in chapter 4. And then he uses David as an example. And when he uses David as an example, he's citing from Psalm 32 in the Old Testament. And in Psalm 32, David is praying this prayer. He's saying, God, the man against whom you do not count his sins is blessed by you. Look at what Paul says. Pick it up in verse 6. Just as David, 4, 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Here it is, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Verse 8, blessed is the the man against whom the Lord would not count his sin. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. Paul is saying the reason why Jesus' blood justifies sinners by faith in Christ is because God reckons, credits, counts to Jesus' credit our punishment for our sin. You do realize, don't you? 
that the reason why Jesus died on the cross is not fundamentally because some Romans arrested him and some Jews prosecuted him. Oh, that's a part of the story. But the fundamental reason why Jesus died on the cross is because the only way God can save humanity is if God himself dies for humanity. And the only way God dies is when God the Son, not God the Father, but God the Son becomes a man and takes upon himself the punishment that sinners deserve. And the only reason sinners can be saved is if we have faith in God the Son and God reckons to our account the Son's righteousness. He therefore counts us in the judgment, not guilty. But there's a second benefit we receive from the death of Jesus. It's also called what we say reconciliation. Look at verse 10. Paul says, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Did you hear that language there? We who were dead in trespasses and sins, we who were ungodly, we who were wicked, we were not simply angry at God, but rather we were God's enemies, Paul says. But Jesus in the cross and the resurrection established peace between God and those who have faith. In other words, he reconciled them. Reconciliation simply means there's friendship where there was once enmity. Do you realize the very reason why we as Christians can call God our Father is because He's reconciled us to Himself through the blood of Jesus. God who was formerly our enemy has now become our friend. God who was once alienated from us, He is now our Father in Christ. It's reconciliation. But then thirdly, Paul says, there's also salvation. The reality is justification and reconciliation are salvation too. But salvation is also pointing us to a, another aspect of what Jesus did for us in the cross. Jump back, if you would, please, to verse 9. Paul says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved? Salvation. By Him from the wrath of God. Now in verse 10, he mentions salvation again. And he talks about us being saved by his life, which I think refers to the resurrection. What is salvation? Christianity 101 this morning. What is salvation? You cannot be saved unless there is something from which you need to be saved. Whenever my son disobeys me, there is the real threat of his father's judgment upon him, right? Well, you don't know. You don't know my son. I answer that question, right? When I ask my son to do something, he disobeys. There's the real threat of daddy's discipline coming upon my son. But if he does what I say, he escapes God's judgment. In other words, and this is only an illustration, he is saved from my judgment. By way of analogy, think about it. We were enemies of God. We were ungodly. We were sinners. And then God in Christ reconciled us to God by the blood of Jesus, by faith. And as a result, we will therefore escape God's future judgment. And when you think about God's wrath, you should think about it in at least two ways. Number one, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and women who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then Paul goes on to explain what the wrath of God looks like in the here and now. And Paul says three times in Romans 1, 18-32, that God hands people over to the desires of their hearts to do what they want when they refuse to follow Him. So all these vices you see mentioned in 1, 19 to 32, that is an expression of God's wrath. When people refuse to obey God, God says this, okay, do whatever you want. And that's an expression of His wrath upon them. But that's not what Paul's talking about in Romans 5, verses 9 and 10. There's another aspect of God's wrath. It's the future day of wrath. Do you realize this? There will be a day of judgment when Jesus returns from heaven to earth. He is going to raise the dead. All the books will be opened. And every single person will be judged. And Jesus will pour out judgment, wrath, upon all of those who disobeyed the gospel. This is why the last scene, one of the last scenes you see in the book of Revelation is what? It's a very powerful scene. Jesus throws the devil and the false prophet, and the beast, and all of those who disobeyed Jesus into the lake of fire, which burns with sulfur, right? Forever and ever and ever. So when Paul says this to us, we will be saved from His wrath, Paul means that Christians who have been saved by the blood of Jesus will therefore escape God's future day of wrath reserved for those who disobey the gospel. Oh yes! We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but we'll hear the verdict, not guilty, because we belong to Jesus. So recognize something this morning. If you doubt that God loves you, remind yourselves that He loves you so much, He will save you from His future wrath because of the blood of His Son. And you, therefore, will not fall under that final day of wrath reserved for all people who reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me give you some practical application and then I'll be finished, alright? Here are five quick practical applications. Number one, if you are a Christian this morning, God has written you a great big love letter. I want you to feel that. Some of you this morning are suffering. Some of you perhaps have gotten a bad report from the doctor. Some of you, as that young lady shared in her testimony, perhaps are doubting God's love for you because of your circumstances. Circumstances could be difficult today. But here's something very powerful about the love of God. The love of God is not changed by anyone's circumstances because it is rooted in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, so that if I am told by the doctor I have cancer and I'm going to die, God's love does not change, even though my circumstances change. God has written you this morning a great big love letter whose content is the death of Jesus for your sins and the resurrection, right? Again, look at chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Folks, here's good news. Jesus is not dead today. 
And because he reigns at the right hand of the Father, because he got up on Sunday morning, you and I can rejoice in the fact that God loves us. That is clear because of the cross. And absolutely nothing can separate God's people from the love of God in Jesus Christ, their Lord. For example, Romans chapter 8. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and following. After Paul has just been making this very important argument regarding why the sufferings that Christians experience in this life, and they are real sufferings. I don't know about you, but I don't believe the Christian life is happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. At least that's not my experience. Sometimes the Christian life is pain. He's just made this argument why in pain Christians have hope. And when you get to to chapter 8, verse 31, he then asks this question. He says, what then shall we say to these things, the things he's just explained, the things regarding the fact that God works all things together for the good for those who love God? The fact that the Spirit prays for us when we suffer. The fact that Jesus Himself prays for us when we suffer. What shall we say to these things? Here's your answer. If God, verse 31, is for us, who can be against us? To which I respond by saying, everybody. The devil is against us. Sometimes our kids are against us. Sometimes our spouses are against us. Our parents sometimes are against us. Our employers or employees are against us. So Paul is not, however, making the point that no one's against us. His point is, if God is for you, who can really defeat you? That's his point. And now here comes his answer. Nobody. Verse 32. He who did not spare, there's the death of Jesus again, his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 33. It is God who justifies. There's that language of justification again associated with the death of Jesus. Who can condemn you in God's law court if you are in Christ Jesus? Answer, nobody can. Oh, the devil will try. He has a very good law degree. And the devil tries to prosecute us to the fullest in the court of law, in God's divine court of law. But Jesus Christ is a better prosecutor than the devil, and his blood covers us from our sin. And Paul's answer to the question is, who can bring a charge against us? Answer, nobody. No charge will stick if the blood of Jesus covers us. That's his point. Further, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, there's death and resurrection again, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now notice verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Let me just say it this way. Who or what? Now I'm looking at a room full of people in different age groups. And some of you have lived longer than others and you've suffered long, longer than others. I'm only 37 years old, but I've had some suffering in my life that have been quite painful. Quite frankly, to the point where I didn't know if I was going to make it through that suffering. So the point here is not suffering is an illusion. 
The point is, what can hurt the people of God if they are in Christ? The answer is, yes, cancer can kill you. Yes, people will hurt you. But Jesus has saved you and therefore you live. Notice. Who shall separate us, verse 35, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? By the way, Paul experienced all of these. He's not speaking as a seminary professor sitting in his office detached from real life. He's writing as a missionary who was naked because of his faith in Jesus, who was at the point of death because of a sword, who did suffer hunger pains, who did experience tribulation and distress. And he says that very fact in verse 36, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. And that's what he says in verses 37 down to verse 39. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure, now hear this carefully, if you're suffering today and you doubt the love of God, I am sure, verse 38, that neither death nor life, are you kidding me? The greatest enemy of God is death. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. But even death has been defeated. Because Jesus is alive. There's coming a day, folks, where there will be no more funerals, no more caskets, no more mourners because of death. Not even death can hurt the people of God. Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So my first point of application is nothing separates you from God's love in Christ if you are in Christ. Second application. If you doubt God's love today, here's what you need to do. You need to remind yourselves of the gospel. You need to preach the gospel to yourselves. I preach to myself every single day. And the sermon could be as simple as this. God demonstrated His own love toward me in that while I was still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. You should preach to yourselves the gospel every day. The way you fight against the devil when He causes you to doubt God's love, you fight against Him, not in the flesh, but with the living and breathing Word of God. Oh yes, with prayer too. And oh yes, with the people of God. Church is important. It's not optional. We need each other to help each other understand the truth of the Gospel. You should remind yourselves when you're doubting, when you're hopeless, you should remind yourselves of the great work of God in Jesus Christ regularly. When the devil tempts you, and he will, maybe he's doing that now, when he tempts you to despair, and he reminds you how big of a failure you are because of your inability to do what God demands of you to the degree that God demands it, you remind yourselves that you're righteous in Christ. Yes, you must obey Jesus, but you're righteous in Christ. You find yourself doubting the truth of salvation as you get older 
and you're getting nervous about death, remind yourselves that God has conquered death, hell, and the grave via the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Third application. If you have, in fact, experienced God's love in Jesus, you know what you should be doing? You should be living in obedience to Jesus, right? Now, some people, unfortunately, think that just because God gives grace, that there's no obligation of those, from those who receive that grace. Oh, there are obligations. God gives grace with expectations. You know what that expectation is? Obedience to His Son. If God has saved you this morning, you have tasted the love of God in Jesus Christ, the appropriate and the expected response to God's work for you and me in the cross and resurrection is Spirit-empowered obedience. Not perfection, nobody's perfect, but pursuing Jesus in faithful obedience. Fighting against sin. Fighting against the devil. Walking in the Spirit. Producing love, joy, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Loving one another. Serving one another. This is the appropriate response for those of us who have faith in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Fourth application. The love of God in Jesus Christ is in fact a message that we should gladly proclaim to those who don't know Him. Think about this. God displayed His love to sinners in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. So one response that we offer back to God is this. We go out into this world and we proclaim the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that is hard, yes, but that's a joy, isn't it? Evangelism, we call this, is sometimes very difficult, perhaps often very difficult. But sometimes the Lord makes it easy by bringing people to our doorsteps or by bringing people beside of us on an airplane. I was recently on an airplane, and I sat beside of a young man who flew for the first time, and he was obviously terrified. And I had to force myself not to laugh because I remember my first flight, and I was painfully terrified. So I looked at this young man, and I said, do you want me to pray for you? To which he responded by saying, yes. And I just looked at him. And he, he got closer and said, I'm serious. Pray for me. So I prayed for him. I prayed for the gospel. And then I said, are you a Christian? And he said, no. So I said, well, can I tell you about Jesus? He said, yes. <laughs> so I was explaining to him in a simple way, here's what you must do to be saved if this plane goes down. Actually, I didn't say that last part. <laughs> that would have freaked him out. But that was really easy. Most of the time, it's not that easy. Evangelism is hard. We fight against fear. I know I do. We're afraid. We fight against the flesh. We fight against the devil. It's awkward to tell people you need Jesus and Jesus alone. But here's the good news. God hasn't called us to save anybody. He's called us to, open, to be faithful to Jesus, to open up our mouths as he gives us opportunities, and simply to proclaim what is true. And this is what is true. God offered Jesus on the cross for sinners. He raised Jesus up from the dead for sinners. And sinners who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus by faith and follow him in faithful obedience can and will be saved. That's the joy to proclaim. You know, believers that you know in your life who need to hear about this message, any family members or friends or co-workers, ask the Lord to give you opportunities to proclaim in love 
the gospel. And then fifth and finally, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. I hope you can say you've heard the gospel today, but just in case you haven't, let me just say it again. The only thing that's certain in life is the reality that God in Christ has acted to save sinners from their sins. And He's raised up Jesus from the dead. And death is coming. And if you hope in Jesus by faith, you can be saved. So maybe if you're, if you're here this morning, maybe you're not a believer, and, and the gospel is this, the gospel is for you. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus by faith and follow Jesus till you die. You don't go to heaven by trying to be a good person. You don't go to heaven by trying to be a good neighbor. You go to heaven by giving up yourself fully to Jesus Christ and following Him until you die. If you want to do that, Jesus is willing and eager to save you. So brothers and sisters, be encouraged this morning. God has demonstrated His love to us because He offered His Son Jesus to die and he raised him up from the dead. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful to you for the gospel. We're thankful for, to you for all of the riches therein. And we pray that you would open up our hearts this morning to respond to this gospel in faith. We pray, Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, we pray that you would remind us how severe and serious this is. This is not a moment for us to be silly or haphazard. But this is a moment where we recognize that, that on the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed your wrath for our sin and, and, that, and that we only should take of this if we are following Jesus faithfully and are living in obedience to the gospel unless, unless we repent now and promise to do that by faith. So Father, we pray that you would open up hearts this morning and help us to feel and to taste and to experience your love now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Williams, I want to ask you just to close your eyes for a minute <clears throat> to focus our hearts this morning. The love of God demonstrated through the cross of Christ. We're going to spend some time remembering and, and celebrating the, the cross of Christ this morning through communion. This is a time for us to examine our hearts. It's a time to allow the Holy Spirit to speak, to move. This time is open to all believers. This is not, this is not Cape Bible Chapel Supper. This is the Lord's Supper. So if you're a believer, you're welcome to come. Come, take communion. Come and pray. Come and spend time with the Lord this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you for the love that you demonstrate. We thank you for the sacrifice of your body, your blood. Have your way in our hearts this morning as we give you thanks and praise for your mighty work on the cross.
Yeah. 